Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Small businesses play a vital role in Canadian communities. Visa knows this, and to show its support, it's offering female entrepreneurs grants and coaching. And on visa.ca, there are business-centric tools and resources to help entrepreneurs succeed in a digital environment. To learn more about how Visa is supporting small businesses, go to visa.ca backslash small business. U.S. President Joe Biden announced a plan last week that calls for about $2 trillion of investment in infrastructure upgrades, about half of which are focused on clean technology and the transition to a low-carbon economy. As the old saying goes, sharing a border with the U.S. is like sleeping next to an elephant, and you feel every twitch and grunt. So what does this massive spending plan mean for Canada? I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I spoke to Sarah Petrovan, Policy Director for Clean Energy Canada, a think tank at Simon Fraser University in British Columbia. She spent years thinking about carbon, electricity, and the transition to a green economy. And as the U.S. moves towards a cleaner economy, Petrovan said she sees an amazing economic opportunity for Canada. Given its abundance of clean energy, which may help it attain a higher value for its steel, aluminum, and various other commodities, to say nothing of the clean tech companies that are emerging. But there are also risks. As always, our interview was edited for clarity and brevity. Sarah Petrovan, thank you so much for joining me on Down to Business. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on this podcast because you've been studying and thinking about the green economy, I guess, for years now. And just last week, U.S. President Joe Biden announced a plan to invest $2 trillion in infrastructure, a lot of which is focused on the transition to a low-carbon economy. And so I, I just wanted to start by asking what some of your main takeaways were from this announcement. You know, what President Biden's announcement really signaled is that this is his opportunity, this is the opportunity to reorient the U.S. economy towards a low-carbon future. And, you know, this scale of investment being put forward helps the United States do that and recapture its economic leadership position in a way that creates good paying jobs for Americans, for American businesses, but also sets up the U.S. economy to compete in a increasingly low carbon world. I mean, if you look at where other countries are going, you know, either through using stimulus packages to help position their economies for a green future, certainly, you know, if you look at efforts in the European Union, but also what's happening in China, right? China is looking to uh, capture a huge part of the economic opportunity related to a low carbon future, whether it be in, you know, anything from manufacturing of automobiles to, you know, critical metals and minerals. China is looking to supply that. And I think, you know, what Biden's trying to show in his infrastructure package is that it's not necessarily China's game that the U.S. is going to get in the game and they're going to find a way to do it that also helps to protect American jobs. So this is a bit of a change because all of a sudden he's talking about investing in 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations, clean manufacturing, all these sort of 
parts of the green transition that have kind of been question marks for the past few years. Like, how are we going to afford this? I mean, he's talking about this as not a cost, but as a strategy for growth. Is there any evidence that this is the best way to sort of capture growth from climate change? Sure. So, I mean, there wasn't anything that we saw in Biden's infrastructure plan that he didn't at least telegraph in his campaign platform. And I just want to touch on the emphasis on transportation within his infrastructure plan, within his campaign platform, because I think it's particularly noteworthy in the context of this conversation. You know, when Biden ran to become president, he said, look, I'm going to create a million jobs in the auto sector. And those million jobs are going to be focused on the transition towards zero emission vehicles. There are good jobs to be created from electrifying vehicles. The U.S. market share of plug-in electric vehicle sales is only one-third the size of the Chinese EV market. And the president believes, as he said, that that needs to change. And so, you know, he, he put $174 billion to win the EV market. And so, you know, what this is going to do is going to help automakers spur domestic supply chains, retool factories, support American workers to make battery and electric vehicles. That alone is a substantial doubling down for Biden to say, like, look, China, like you may have got the early lead, but you know, we're not about to stand aside and let that and let that continue. Like we have an interest in the blossoming electric vehicle market in the United States. And we understand that there's a supply chain that comes from building out uh, electric vehicles, everything from batteries to assembly to all the different component parts that go into batteries. You know, there are as many jobs in manufacturing electric vehicles as they are in internal combustion engine vehicles. The difference is, is that they're in different parts of the supply chain. So what you see Biden doing is really doubling down on that effort. You know, I've used that phrase before, but I think it's I think it's a good one to say, okay, look, we're going to retain and we're going to grow American jobs through this transition. The most fascinating thing to me about this still is that this is all about timing. If you're the first person to start producing EVs before there's a market out there, there's a lot of risk. But it sounds like all these countries have committed to reducing their emissions. So we know that there's going to be demand for various different types of clean technology. And so now it's basically just a race to see who can capture the most of that economy. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think we're up to 127 nations now that have committed to be net zero by or have commitments for net zero. You know, most commonly, like we see in Canada, it's around 2050, I think is is the average of what everyone has committed to. But, you know, we're going to get to a place where we're going to have zero emissions in the future. And to do that, it means tackling where emissions come from. You know, in Canada, transportation is the second largest source of emissions um, behind oil and gas extraction. Transportation makes up a large portion of emissions in the U.S., although I don't think it's as large as the power sector. And so countries are saying, look, we need to reduce emissions, but there's also opportunities within the reduction of emissions to provide the solutions required to reduce those emissions. So, you know, when we talk about electricity supply, you know, we're talking about new kinds of solar panels, we're talking about wind turbines, we're talking about geothermal, Uh, you know, when we talk about transportation, we're talking about hydrogen technology, we're talking about electric vehicle technology, you know, when we look at decarbonizing heavy industry, Sure, some of it's electrification, but again, you know, we see hydrogen, we see technology like carbon capture, utilization and storage. So there's not only the environmental imperative to reduce emissions, but now it's also an economic imperative because for two reasons. 
One, because you want to be the country that's supplying the rest of the world with the solutions they need to decarbonize. But two, when all of your major trading partners that you export your goods to, in the case of Canada, right, let's remember that Canada is an export-oriented economy, you know, when all of a sudden the UK, the European Union, the United States, you know, are saying like, we are only interested in low carbon to match our own climate ambition. It therefore means that it's an economic imperative for Canada's exports to be cleaner and greener as well to become attractive to those marketplaces. I want to ask you the sort of big question here is what, what does all this mean for Canada? The fact that the U.S. is planning on spending so much money over the next decade? I mean, you know, it is an opportunity for Canada. The U.S. is going to invest heavily in its future and Canada could help them get where they need to go. You know, Canada has done a good amount of work over you know, the past few years in terms of setting up its own course for a low carbon future. You know, we've got a carbon price put in place. There, We are still, I would say, in the early stages of decarbonizing transportation, you know, but we've got uh, a very talented workforce, some amazing clean technology companies, some well-poised, heavy industrial sectors, you know, like steel and cement that, you know, comparatively have lower carbon processes compared to some other jurisdictions and an opportunity to really uh, leverage those strengths. You know, we talked about transportation and so we can't talk about electric vehicles without talking about Canada's mining sector. Canada's mining sector has an opportunity to provide not only the cleanest, but the most socially and environmentally sustainable products to help power both the United States and Canada's uh, low carbon transition. We also have some amazing battery recycling companies in Canada. So, you know, as the U.S. moves towards climate action and reorienting its economy, this could actually be or this rather this is an amazing economic opportunity for Canada to provide the U.S. with the types of things that it's looking for. What about in terms of stimulus? If Even if you sort of looked at a per capita basis and figure the U.S. is roughly about 10 times bigger than Canada, this puts the U.S. way over us. Do you think this means that Canada is going to have to start investing in EV charging stations or or is there any part of the economy that you think this sort of forces Canada's hand on? It's a complicated question because it's not always apples to apples comparison. And certainly I'm not an economist. Okay. So first, I mean, I don't think that Canada's economic recovery or stimulus package, like I don't think we've fully shown our cards yet. We have a budget coming up April. And certainly, you know, as the pandemic wears on, so does the need for targeted support for certain sectors. Right. There are certain sectors in the Canadian economy that have been hit harder than others. And so think um, how the government of Canada chooses to approach stimulus will also be largely reflective of the vulnerabilities that the pandemic has brought to bear. That all being said, you know, when they release their healthy environment, healthy economy plan, you know, late last fall, they certainly signaled some intention to support low carbon fuels, to support the auto sector, to support industrial decarbonization transition. And so I think that we're going to start seeing some of the fruits of those investments soon. I know that Canada is anxious to demonstrate some positive results. The interesting thing for me when I look at the differences between some of the things that the U.S. is doing and some of the things that Canada can do is the sheer size of the U.S. economy versus the Canadian economy. The U.S. could do things like change their government fleet procurement. And that signals 
a market shift unlike anything you would see in Canada because their government is so much bigger. Um, it's certainly important in terms of market signals within Canada that government, you know, switch all government fleet procurement to zero emission vehicles on both, you know, the federal and the provincial level. But the national government alone, you know, that's like, you know, I think it's around 100,000, 100,000 vehicles. Like that's, that's significantly larger than what we see in Canada. And so that all being said, Certainly, the imperative is there for Canada to follow. And I think that Canada needs to look at where we could really match the level of effort of the United States. We have to remember that it's an integrated auto market between Canada and the U.S. And so, therefore, if the U.S. is doubling down on electric vehicles and really seizing that opportunity, what does Canada need to do to A, ensure we're matching that level of effort and B, ensure that we are capturing an important piece of the pie and not just serving as a warehouse for metals and minerals for the United States, that we're actually securing some value-add manufacturing and processing here in Canada. So, you know, some of that's going to come from government investment, but some of that can also come from policy signals, too. Speaking of like the manufacturing you were just talking about, if the U.S. invests a lot in sort of clean manufacturing, is that going to hurt some of the things that you mentioned, like the aluminum we produce here, which is produced with renewable power. So, I mean, clean electricity is an amazing advantage that Canada has. And sometimes I feel like we take it for granted. You know, if you look at the low hanging fruit for emissions reductions in the United States, it's in the power sector. Biden's obviously going to be interested in focusing on that. But let's remember, right, Canada's grid is 83% non-emitting. And so that means that we can provide, uh, you mentioned aluminum, right? Aluminum produced using clean electricity uh, has an amazingly low carbon footprint. And so if you were to compare uh, aluminum produced in other jurisdictions with dirtier fuel sources, be it through electricity or be it through, you know, natural gas or other fuel sources, you know, Canada is already cleaner. And so we've done a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, we are blessed with hydropower, um, like Ontario did, a hard, did the hard work with uh, coal power phase out. Other parts of the country are doing that right now. So that is definitely competitive advantage. I mean, you can't produce cement with electricity, which is uh, unfortunate. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of things that you can produce with electricity. And so, you know, that creates benefits for a lot of products down supply chain. That's something that the U.S. is going to do. But it also means that, like, we may actually also be able to share some of our clean electricity with our neighbors to the south. That would be interesting, of course. Going back to Biden's plan for a second, when he, he campaigned on a platform of buy American, I mean, you mentioned that a lot of this is about creating American jobs. Is Canada going to be able to get a piece of this or is a lot of it going to be walled off through sort of rules of content that say like a certain number of American workers have to be involved in order to get some of this stimulus money? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, buy America has been a huge centerpiece of the Biden administration. Certainly, he's saying that he's going to close the loopholes that former President Trump never did. I think if Canada wants to ensure that there's an asterisk beside Buy America, it's showing America that we can produce products that they need that meet or exceed their level of climate ambition. If we can show them that we can deliver high quality, clean, low carbon products, I think that that's the way forward for Canada in terms of negotiating with the U.S. around Buy America. 
Certainly Canada has had a successful relationship with the United States in the past. You know, under the Obama administration, Canada was able to negotiate some waivers or some exceptions rather. So, you know, I know a lot of industry is hopeful Canada that, that we'll be able to do the same this time around. The elephant in the room in all this is China, because it's investing heavily in things like coal, but it's also way ahead on establishing planting stakes in the renewable supply chain. So, I mean, is there any possibility that investing so heavily right now in in, in some of the things that Biden outlined is actually going to see some of that money sort of pass directly from U.S. hands into China? Yeah, I mean, the China-U.S. relationship, one, is complicated. And I'm not an international relations expert, but I am a climate expert. And more and more, you know, my opinion is, is I sort of look at the moves that the European Union is taking and the moves that the United States is taking, particularly around climate action. And it almost seems that it's also a global affairs, a world relations strategy. The U.S. is engaged in a critical metals and minerals agreement with Canada. And the European Union is also through the European Battery Alliance and and some other policies that have got going on there, really interested in shoring up supply chains for their needs in the future that don't focus on China. You know, the agreement between Canada and the U.S. isn't just around the metals and minerals that go into battery manufacturing, but it's also things like uranium that go into national defense. And so I look at those two blocks of countries really trying to kind of shore up their supply chains away from from China. The thing about China when it comes to, you know, the low carbon transition is you can always flood the market with a lot of product and therefore drive down commodity prices, right? You see them do this all the time with steel. You know, Canada's got amongst the, you know, lowest carbon steel production in the world, even steel production that uses a basic oxygen furnace and not uh, just electric arc. You know, we have some of the most efficient industrial processes in the world, but China often beats us out because they can just do it cheaply. Um, and they decide to flood the market and drop down commodity prices. And that cuts, creates challenges for countries like Canada and the U.S. So we'll never beat China on price. But what we could beat China on is ESG criteria or sustainability criteria. Auto manufacturers, you know, particularly are looking to shore up their own supply chains, but are now paying attention to where things like cobalt comes from and what is the conditions that workers are subjected to in mining of cobalt. And so, you know, Canada has cobalt. And so as companies are looking to not only secure their supply chains, but to make sure that their supply chains are environmental and sustainable, that puts Canada at an advantage for the U.S. market in ways that, you know, perhaps China can't compete on right now. Well, this has really, really been a fascinating discussion. And I just wanted to say thanks so much for coming on this show. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. That was Sarah Petrovan, Policy Director for Clean Energy Canada. Thanks for listening to this episode of Down to Business. And thanks to Bryce Hall for music and production, Yudula Hussein for editing, and Pamela Heaven for web support. Give us a rating on your podcast app and consider sharing this with a friend if you enjoyed it. I'm Gabe Friedman, and until next week, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com.